0: Welcome to the LSQ podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe.
1: We have been going through a series looking at our DNA. And DNA, and I'm, I'm now speaking as a pastor, not as a scientist, but what I know about DNA is that it's the building blocks of, of life. And so what we're trying to do is looking at, looking at the building blocks of the life of this church. And my hope is this, with all the new people that are here, and with all the people who have been here for a while, my hope is that you would hold on to the DNA of this place as your own. I don't mean that literally, I mean that metaphorically, you know, spiritually speaking, that this would be part of of who you are as well. Which is why I'm worried about today's text and topic. If you were here last week, I talked to you about the expulsive power of a hawk, and just to prove that I was right and what I was talking about, I actually brought the hawk. I actually found the picture from about 10 years ago. This is it. This is the hawk, if you can see those streaming online. All right? And we talked about you need an expulsive power, not of a hawk, to be different. That's not going to help. You need an expulsive power of of a a new affection that's powerful enough to change our identity. But my worry—that was last week. If you weren't here, you know, sorry, you should have been there too late. Um, This week, we're talking about community. And the problem with community is this. Everybody already thinks they know what it's about. And everybody's already talking about it. Every sitcom, every TV drama, every little league soccer team, baseball team, institution, school, you name it, everybody, in their casting of the imagination of what we do together is community. Now, the problem with that is you might think, we might think we know what community means, but we don't. There's that uh, 1980s, movie, The Princess Bride, where Nego Montoya says, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Now, he wasn't talking about community for us, but he could be. So what do I mean by that? Let's look at three things today. Let's look at the features of community. Let's look at why you can't have it, and then how to get it. I'll say it again. We're going to look at the features of community, the essence, uh, you know, that you need it, but then why you can't have it, and then how to actually get it. All right, so first— the features of community. Paul gives us the DNA of community. And it's right here in verse 2. Look at verse 2. He says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Now, the context for this, Paul was imprisoned when he's talking to uh, the Philippians. And in prison, often it was in in solitude. So this man understood through the absence of community— the, the DNA, the essence of it, and he starts listing it for us. First, what does he say? He says, it's make my joy complete. So somehow, joy is the essence of community, that there is something about him being able to enter into it, even from afar. Then, he says, number two, be like-minded. So there's something about community about being on the same page together. Three, what does he say after that? He says, have the same love. and I don't have time to go into the biblical concept of love, but it's at least commitment. Committed to what? Committed to the same values, the same stories, the same drive, the same uh, um, everything. To pull it all together, the same cares, the same concerns. Some of you are into sports, right? And And if you know sports, good sports teams, whether it's basketball, baseball, soccer, good sports teams always beat the other teams because of their cohesion, because of their ability to pull together, because of not everybody doing the same thing, but everybody knowing their role and being part of a larger whole to bring about success, to bring about uh, winning. Now, if you're not into sports, a lot of you are in New York City, a lot of you are not, but you still understand good teams. In the corporate world, the good teams get the projects done. The bad teams do not get the projects done. Now, if you leave community just as that, a lot of you are going to like go, yeah, I get this. But go back to the text. Paul doesn't stop there. Verse 3. He next, the second half of verse th- 3 says, In humility, value others above yourselves. And then verse 4. Not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of others. I, I sometimes like to think of, of, of Paul— uh, you know, trying to make a joke. He's like, hey, community is about, you know, pulling together and same ambition and same love. And everybody here is going, yeah, that sounds good. And he says, by the way, community is placing other people's interests above your own and serving them over yourself. And then everybody goes, uh <laughs> Okay, that's nice. But then we start asking ourselves, is that in our lives? Do we do that? Are we part of spaces— where that's actively actually happening. I don't know if I have that. I forgot who said this long ago. I heard somebody once say, if, if Christianity's true, and this world is not all that there is, that there is going to be for us as individuals, we will last beyond this world. That we'll go beyond this moment. If that's true, then everybody in this room right now, we're not mortals. We're actually immortal. And the question is, is do we treat each other that way? Do we walk around? Do we look at people next to us? Do we go in our city and do we, do we think of people as immortal? I, I, I'll confess, I, I don't walk around New York City thinking about the uniqueness of every individual and their immortality regularly. I don't do that. But think about it. What if we did? If we did, I believe that we would actually care about community more. It would affect our intentionality and desire And space with other people. If we actually saw ourselves going on a quest for the betterment of somebody else. What if we did that? For the person next to us. See, if you go to uh, Tolkien, right? He had Frodo and Sam. And what are they doing? They're going on a quest to save the world. But they're doing it together. And as you watch them, you actually see them putting each other over over themselves. And I would argue this is what we need. And this is what we we really want. A like-mindedness, a joyfulness, a loving, servant-hearted, treasuring up of each other. So community at first sounds kind of fuzzy, but then when we see the essence of it, this is what it's like. Now, I I love Bruce earlier. He said, hey, for all you introverts, I know you, you read something like this, and it feels intense, doesn't it? You're like, ah. But you need to know whatever Paul is talking about here, it's beyond your introversion. And if you're an extrovert, extroverted person, you're like, yeah, people. This is so deep, and this is so mass, multifaceted. I promise you, whatever you think it means to be in community, it's more than, than that too. And this is the features. And the features, at the very least, and I don't have time to unpack this, if God is three persons, if God is by essence Trinitarian, and He's community in, in essence, and we are made in His image, then that means you are community in essence. Which is why another reason why you need this as well. So it's what we want, it's what we need. But second point, here we go. Why can't you have it? Why don't we have it? And as I was thinking about this, I I did a thought experiment for myself. I said, I wonder what people thought about community about a thousand years ago. Go back a thousand years ago, Europe, Africa, Asia, wherever you are. Go back a thousand years. And what do, you find your, what do you find there? What you find is people who are in political wars, religious wars, they're fighting, they're fractured, there's warring tribes battling themselves, battling with each other. And I bet you there were people a thousand years ago that said this. They said, you know what, I can't wait till maybe religion's gone. Then if people are not religious, we won't fight anymore. I bet you there are people who maybe conceived of and imagined, I, you know what would help if we could really just press a button and talk to somebody on the other side of the world, or see them and interact with them. I bet you if we did that, we would feel like everything was closer and more closely knit. Now, fast forward to today. What do we have today? We have less religion. We have more technology. And yet, what do we see today? Warring tribes, fractures, battles, political wars, religious wars. We see this going on online. We see this going on offline. And if you're going to say, yeah, but, you know, we're, we've, we've progressed so much more. Well, at least in the West, the 20th century, the last century, we, humans killed more people than— uh, humans killed other—people pe- killed people more in the 20th century than any other century before. So anybody that says that, throws out that statistic. And maybe we're not killing each other physically as much in some places in the West, but we still are canceling. We're still cutting off. We're still saying— I can't do life with you, and we sit around and we wait for the group that we don't like to mess up, and then we pounce on them. And I think that's why it's very frustrating for me when I hear people say, in like simplistic terms, we like simplicity in our world today. We say, you know what, if we could just go back to this value in the past, we could just preserve or conserve this value, then everything will be okay. Whereas other people say, you know what, if we could just progress, let's just progress to, to this value in the future, then we'll be okay. And nobody can hear the naivete that if you look over the the thousand years, we've been at this for a long time, and we're not seeing the healing. We're not seeing the community needed. And I think the reason why is Paul details for us why we can't have nice things. Look in verse 3. He says, it's because of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Now those words, if you're like me, you first hear them, and they they don't really resonate with you. Selfish ambition, vain conceit. Selfish ambition is the concept, whereas if community in Paul's eyes is placing you more important than me, selfish ambition is the reverse, right? It's placing me more important than you. Now, if you're modern New Yorkers like myself, what's the first thing you're going to say right now? You're going to say, but Mike, what about self-care? What about, you know, I need my own boundaries. I need, I need rest. I need sleep. I need, I need to uh, protect myself. And that's fair, by the way. I do believe in self-care. But for Paul, the problem comes when you start defining self-care as I'm never going to invite somebody else into my life that's hard or messy. Or I'm not going to let somebody come into my house because this is my space. Or I'm, gonna, I'm not going to allow to keep on a difficult relationship. I'm going I'm to cut them off. See, for Paul, he would say that self-care is good, but if it prevents you from loving somebody else— Overloving yourself, then it's not actually self-care. That's actually selfish ambition pretending to be self-care. And I started thinking to myself, I said, wait a second. You could probably find the roots of the problems of this world go all down to always selfish ambition at some level. Masking itself as self-care. Think about it. What's greed? Greed is just saying, I need money because I'm actually pretending that I actually am in need of that money. Or what's racism? Racism is self-prioritization of your own culture and race, pretending that you're honoring and holding on to the particularities of a culture or race. Or you have other—you have lying. What's lying? Lying is selfish ambition where I'm protecting the concept of truth from you so that I can hold on to comfort and approval and uh, acceptance. So that's what's weird about selfish ambition is actually you can— Pret- selfish ambition can pretend like it's community, and actually it's not. Let me ask you a question. This, I, this is, I actually Googled this. You can Google it yourself. Are grocery stores communities or spin classes or any place where individuals go, and what do they do? What do they do in, at a grocery store? You are enjoying each other on the same mission with the same ambition of getting products and discounts and deals, right? You're all going to the same place, and you have the same mind for the same love. And so at first you think, oh, okay, grocery stores are communities. Until you realize, wait a second, wait a second. The only people who are here are buyers and sellers and workers, and we're only here for as long as it works out for me. I'm only here because of what I can get from it which is actually a consumer-vendor relationship, pretending to be a community. This has been studied by sociologists for for decades, that what's happened recently is what we think is community, communities have been replaced by markets, and now all of our markets are actually being called communities. And I would argue that's maybe why we feel so lonely at some level. It's not because it's just like, I can't find somebody else to be with, it's because the very way we go and find that somebody else the, the transactional relationship goes like this. Hey, you, you're kind of attractive. I'm not so bad myself. Let's get together. Let's see if this works out. As long as we're together, maybe, you know, we can kind of use each other for the needs that we have, but until we either find something better or we get bored of each other, and then bye. So generally speaking, of course, that, that's not community. And you think—I'm talking about that in a love relationship, but you could argue church relationships are this way. You could argue— that our work relationships are this way. Every—most of our relationships are markets. And because of that, we feel lonely. That's because why? There's selfish ambition under that. Now, why do we do that? Why do we do the selfish ambition? Well,
0: at Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now back to this week's sermon.
1: Paul gives us more. He says it's selfish ambition because of vain conceit. Again, I don't think that word resonates with most of you. You don't say, I am full of vanity. But go to the Greek word. The Greek word here is is the word, it's a compound word that means vain glory or or glory hungry or glory empty. I promise you, I don't know if you do, you probably never walked around the the city and going, you know, I'm glory hungry. (laughs) You don't do that. Now maybe that's because your voice doesn't sound like that and most of you don't have voices like that, but maybe— just maybe if you don't say it that way, what the Bible is saying is, is that the word glory is not something that you, are, you, you, you actively conceptually think of. Glory is this guys, I'm done talking about me. Let's just talk about me in a different way. That's glory hungry. And it, because why? At some level, what you're trying to do is get a weightiness, get a density, get a, a, a sense of substance. If you want a one to one translation of the word glory, which is like a spiritual world, glory just means weightiness, substance, matter. We want to matter, and we're desperate to get it. One of my favorite interviews of, of Michael Jordan was actually at the end of his, uh, of his career. He was interviewed by, um, uh, I think, for, for a television series, and the, and the people were, that were asking him were saying this Michael Jordan, you've accomplished everything. You're, you're the greatest NBA player in basketball ever. What more could you ever want? You know what he said? He said, I wish I, I was a little bit better. Now, a lot of us would say, Well, of course, he's going to say that's what drove him. That's why he, had, he was able to accomplish so much that he, was, that he accomplished. But it's also why he couldn't stop. And I think we all have different versions of that. Where we might think we love somebody, but actually, what's happening is we actually just love the idea that somebody loves us. Or we might think that we actually serve somebody. But a glory hunger goes like this. You today, right now, you could walk out of this room and say, you know what, today I'm going to serve people, I'm going to love people, and I'm going to write letters to them, and I'm just going to completely go for them. You know what's going to happen? If you do that well, people will start saying, hey, that Michael guy, he's all right. He's a nice guy. He does such nice things. He cares for people. You know what you'll do with that? You'll take it in your heart, and you'll go, yeah, <laughs> I'm, that, I'm that guy that, ever, that people know is a good guy. And what did you do there? You just took something that was good and pure and you twisted it because you started making it about yourself, which is the definition of glory hunger. That's what Paul is trying to say here. And it's the reason why we have a problem. Because we can't have nice things like community. And yes, that's a head nod to Taylor Swift, the Taylor Swift song. You can't have nice things. Because of selfish ambition and vain conceit and glory hunger, it gets in the way of community. So everybody likes to talk about community, right? And then we say, by the way, here's what it looks like. And we go, ugh, why? Because at the heart of our hearts, those are the two facets that get in the way. So last point, how do we get it? How do we actually get this thing that's thrown around so much? I'm going to be very plain with you. The reason why you can't put the needs of somebody else above your needs is because you feel like you still need, you have needs. At the end of the day, it's going to be really hard for you to care for somebody else if you feel like you still need care. And so Paul, this is why I think Paul, go back to verse 1. He begins his whole argument with not one, not two, but four if statements. The word if in Greek could also be, tr- could be put in as since. And so you can actually read it this way. Since you have encouragement by being united to Christ, since you have comfort from His love, since you have the indwelling nature of the Spirit in your life, then... Make my joy complete, you can do community. And so see that his argument here. His argument is that only if this is your nature, only if you deeply get what unity in Christ is, will you not go out on a glory quest for yourself? That you have to have the you have to know what it's like to to be in Christ. Now, before your eyes start glazing over right now and saying, I hear that term thrown around. If you're not a Christian here today, Or even if you are, you're kind of wondering, how does being in Christ mean that you get community? And Paul has that answer for you. Because look, he he breaks into uh, poetry in a way, song. This is why it changes the the font, the um, indentation in your bulletin, is to show you a statement from Paul that is the only place in the entire Bible that goes into the motivation of Jesus as plainly as this. Look what he says in verse 7. In verse 7, he says, Jesus, who was the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. And what, in verse 7, rather he made himself nothing. That word nothing, by the way, in Greek is the word empty, which has the same root to the word uh, in in, um, vain conceit, which is hunger or, you know, vain glory, empty glory. It's the same root. So Paul's doing this. You and I can't do community as we tear each other apart to get glory, Jesus is out here full of glory, emptying himself of it. That's the contrast. So you and I will never get community as glory hunters, but Jesus gave up his glory. And when and if, and if and if you can grasp that, you no longer have the same need from others. You just don't. Go back to the sense. Since you have the indwelling nature of the Spirit. We have, that's a whole other sermon about the, the sense that you have the third mem- member of the Trinity dr- dwelling in your heart. It's a profound thought. That since you're now with Christ, then you can do community. And I, I would argue the reason why we feel lonely, the reason why there's that, that, that sense of fracturedness, is that we really just don't get what it means to be in Christ. We don't experience it. We don't, on an active, tangible, daily, weekly sense, get it. And I would argue the more that we do discover it, the more we actually have Him in Christ, the more we will get community. How? Because this. If the essence of Jesus is giving up His glory, He died, even... Paul says he was obedient to death on a cross. If that's the essence of Jesus, and Jesus is God, that means the essence of God is giving. The essence of God is service. And here's the problem. You think, oh, that's nice. He did that for me in the past on the cross. But if this is the essence of God, and God is active in in, in culture and enthroned right now, then he's actually giving to you this very moment in your life. And the, the question I would, I'm asking myself is, do I walk around feeling and getting the fact that if Jesus thought it was worth it to give up all the glory of the world for you, do we walk around feeling like I'm worth that glory of the weight of the world? Try to, try to do this. What's the most precious metal that you can think of? What's the most, the best painting? What's the best Pokemon? Okay, that's not going to— Connect with most of you, but what's the best NFT? No, it's not going to work either. What's the best, um, th- take something that, that can't be calculable the, the mountains of the world, the stars of the heavens, whatever is tangible, the glory of that thing? Do you feel, do you see, do you recognize that the God of the creation loves you more and values you more than those things? When I was in college, uh, when I was a freshman, I took uh, Orgo, Organic Chemistry because I thought that uh, I wanted to be a doctor. So it's freshman year, first semester. I'm sitting in Orgo, and I remember the professor came in, first day, and they looked around and said, look to your left, look to your right. At the end of the semester, those people won't be here. And I bet you most people were like, I'm going to do it. I looked at myself and was like, that's me. (laughs) I I guess I'm gone. I'm out of here. And I think what Paul is saying to us here, by the way, he's saying, look, in this same room, we're supposed to look to our left, we're supposed to look to our right, and either they're going to leave or you're going to leave because of selfish ambition and vainglory. That's the truth. We're seeing that happen in the world, but it's happening inside the church through fractures. Unless we get what it means to put the needs of others above our own needs. And that will only happen to the degree that you feel like and you experience that your ultimate need has been handled. I'm not saying you're not going to have needs. Folks, I know there are so many needs in this world and in this room. And those needs are important and real and tangible. But in Jesus, your ultimate need, your real need is complete. And only when you come and admit that you're hungry and yet Jesus fed you. In Christ, guess what? The world can and will reject you, despise you, dislike you, disown you, downsize you, delete you. But if he gave up everything for you, he isn't going to suddenly stop now. And I think that's, that's everything. Death can't even steal you away from him. Death can actually only—what's the worst thing in the world? Death is the worst thing in the world. But now, if this is true, all death can do is bring you closer. I keep coming back time and time again to this funeral service by Dr. Jonathan Evans. He he did a funeral service for his mother, and he said at the funeral service, when she was dying, he used to pray for her to be healed. And the truth is this if, if you are a Christian and you're praying, there's only two possible answers every time through your prayers. He said this He said, She's either going to be healed or she's gonna be healed. She's either gonna live forever, or she's gonna live forever. She's either going to be with Jesus, or she's going to be with Jesus. She's either going to be with family, or she's going to be with the family. That's the truth of what a Christian can hold on to. That either answer, ironically, is actually the same answer, that in Christ— we have Him. Why? Because the Christian faith allows us to say, I don't know why bad things are happening right now. I don't know why things are as hard as they are, but it can't be that that, that God doesn't love me because look at how Jesus Christ, the worst thing in the world happened to Him on the cross. And yet God used that for good. And if He can do that for God, then He can do that for us. He can take all the hardships and bad and negativity and evil in the world, and He can use it for good as well. I love the way a, a Sri Lankan minister put it. He put it better than Anybody else? He said this. He said, if you get a cut, let's say it's on a knee or a hand or a finger, and that cut isn't healed and it gets infected, and your body doesn't actually fight off that infection, over time you're going to die. That's what happens through the infection. So the question is, is, why don't we walk around most of our days afraid of cuts? Why, don't, why aren't we more scared of infection? The reason why is because over and over and over again, At the site of the infection of the wound, what you'll find is a huge battle happening. Go to the site of the wound, and in that infection, what you'll see is you'll see pus. And a lot of people are grossed out by pus, but pus is glorious because it is the representation of millions of white corpuscles that have died so that you could live. And what's amazing is that if you understand that, that these White corpuscles have sacrificed themselves in the battle against infection. The passage we just read here detailing what Jesus has done for us and that his heart for you is actually technically etched in every cell in your body right now. That the idea that somebody has to die for you so that you could live, guys, it's so foundational to reality that every cell in your body contains the secret of the universe. Your DNA, your blood is telling you, that you can only live because somebody else dies. And if we understand that concept, it changes us. But here's what's crazy. Even if you don't understand that concept, your blood does. Your body does. It's etched into the universe that he shed his blood for you to be saved. The way the world works is this. You hurt me, I hurt you. You did this to me, I'm going to do it back to you. There's no way around from it. But if you place Jesus at the center of your life, this is what's going to happen. People are going to hurt you. The claims are going to be put on you. The slights, the hurts, the needs of the world. But they're not going to land on you in the same way. Because guess what? If you're going to be with him one day, and he's going to be with you, those things don't have the same power as they used to. Can you really hurt at the same level if you know that you're going to be healed? Then go one step further. And this is, again, our passage is amazing. Jesus said in this text, he did not consider equality with God something to be used. Guys, the core of reality is God who did not need equality. The way you're going to get communities, you're not asking for your needs to be met. That you can take a role to serve somebody else. That's the essence of community, is actually not needing equality. You can lay your life down towards them because he laid his life down towards us. And therefore, now guess what? We can go into the cracks and crevices of the other individual in their pain, in their hurts, in this world, because our ultimate need is met. And so now the need's of others around us. We can actually even begin to look around. As, as, as long as you're looking at yourself, you can't look at others. As long as you're saying, my needs are being met, you can't look at the other people's needs. But when you get this, I think this is where where change happens. I think this is where the church can lead. The world is fracturing. It's continuing. There's division. The only way forward that I know of is to take the generosity of Jesus and wield it in such a way where we are able to be generous people as well. We take the service of Jesus and we serve other people and we apply it to the world. That's the essence of community. That's what we could be. It's also what we're not. But there's so much more that is in store for you. Allow this gospel truth. Allow the fact of what Jesus has done, the very nature of him is service to be the core of who you are. And let's see what happens. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray today we would join a community group. Help us to rejoin if we've been in one. Help us to get involved. There's so many spaces to do so. There's a lot of individuals in this room that are very smart, they're, and they're able to be critical in a good way and say, here's a problem with this church. I pray we would take that criticism and say, now I'm going to be the solution. I pray that we would bond together in unity. Because, Father, it, it, There's so much that's working against us. Our own hearts, our own selfish ambition, our own vain glory, our own vain conceit. Help us to admit that, own it, say it's true, and throw ourselves at the foot of the cross. And what we'll find there is full acceptance beyond reality, beyond time and space. Where we could look at a flower, we can look at a mountain, we could look at any treasure chest— of value, and we know the Lord of the heavens gave it all up for us because we were more valuable than that. Let that be the motivating and empowering moment in our life now and forevermore. We pray these things in your name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.